Okay, so we've been working through over the past few weeks this fantastic book, uh, or more accurately, letter written to the church in Ephesus, ultimately written by God, but it was written through the Apostle Paul. And this book, Ephesians, it's fantastic because it gives this kind of bird's eye view of what it means to be a Christian. It's kind of dubbed as the Grand Canyon of the Christian faith because as you read the words that Paul wrote, it gives you this big picture view. It gives you this kind of holistic view of what it means to walk in this Christian faith, what it means to talk and live and love like the man and the example of Jesus. So we're going to continue through our series of Ephesians this morning. So why don't you turn with me to chapter 5, which is where we're up to, chapter 5 of 6, and, uh, and we're going to read the first couple of verses. It says this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Those are some powerful words. Let me just read that to you in the, in the message paraphrase, just to give you another idea, another picture of what those words that Paul are writing say. It says this, watch what God does and then you do it. Watch what God does and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents, Mostly what God does is love you, keep company with him, and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love wasn't cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. Paul says, love like that. Well, it's a little easier said than done, isn't it? Thanks for the advice, Paul. We're going to jump ahead to verse 15 and just finish off this portion of Scripture. It says from verse 15, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit everything to one another out of reverence for Christ. Amazing words written by Paul. And this, so this series we've entitled A New You, I'm sure those of you who have been around We'll remember that and, uh, and what we've been saying is that hopefully as we've been going through this series, this is week five of six, as we've been going through it, we'll hopefully be getting a bit of a head start on 2020. Can you believe it's coming Wednesday? We're going to get a head start on our New Year's resolution to be and to look and to live and to love more like Jesus. We don't need to wait until midnight on Tuesday, Wednesday when Big Ben strikes and then there's that extravagant firework uh, display. We don't need to wait until then to start to live like Jesus. We can do that right now. So maybe from this very moment we can start to be a little bit less angry or we can start to be more loving or more generous or more selfless and we can begin to love and live more like the new you that we are called to be. That sounds good, doesn't it? Why don't we pray? 
Father God, we just thank you that you are here with us this morning. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word to us. And so I just pray that as we continue through this letter to the Ephesians and the words that you wrote through Paul, that you will speak to us. That it wasn't just a message for Ephesus and the church in Asia, but it will be a church, a message that is relevant to us here in Lytham this morning. That it will be a message that is as relevant today as it was back then. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have you ever been walking behind someone and and they kind of set the pace and so you just kind of keep in step with them because you know to overtake them would probably be cause you to get out of breath so you just kind of match their pace and then suddenly they stop and you bump into them a little bit maybe they got a phone call or maybe they forgot something and they turn around and bam you walk into them it's a bit confusing isn't it throws you a bit off kilter well probably like me over the past couple of weeks, or maybe if you're more organised, a month or so, you've been out shopping. And when you're out shopping, you know, people are kind of walking around the towns and the streets, aren't they? And they're, they're kind of buying presents and they're buying food and they were getting ready for, for Christmas. And I've found over the past couple of weeks that there are two different types of people. There are those who walk with purpose and there are those who dawdle. There are those who walk with purpose and there are those who dawdle. And if you're a purposeful walker, there's nothing worse than being stuck behind a dawdler. Because you want to get where you want to get, and you want to get there as quick as you can. You don't want to be looking around. You just want to get there. Well, when I was back at uni, me and my friends invented something, and I'm going to let you in on this this morning. If you're a purposeful walker, we invented something that we dubbed tactical walking tactical walking. So what we would do is we would be walking through the streets of Manchester with purpose. We weren't in a rush, we weren't racing to get to where we were going, but we had purpose. We knew where we wanted to be, we knew where we were going, and we knew how to get there. So we were walking as a group, you know, a group of friends together down the streets, and some of the streets are quite wide, but then you come upon the couple. And they're moseying down the streets, arm in arm, and looking at each other, with that loving eyes and they're enjoying the sights and sounds and smells of the beautiful city of Manchester. And as a group of of 19-year-old lads walking down the street with purpose and intention, this just won't do. So we created something called tactical walking. And so what that meant was when we stumbled across this couple walking or dawdling down the street, Without a word being spoken, the group of guys would form a very orderly and structured, almost military-like line, and we would snake past the offending couple without stepping dangerously into the road, and then regroup. It was perfect. It was this pristine strategy and tactic for us to not get slowed down and lose pace of our walk as we were getting to where we wanted to be. Well, that story has nothing to do with this morning's scripture, but I just thought I'd... No, I'm just kidding. What I think Paul is speaking to us through this portion of scripture is about the consistency of our walk. He's speaking into the consistency of our walk and and actually do we have every day looking similar in our attitudes and in our behaviors and the way in which we live our life 
So he starts in, in verse 15 and he's saying, so I've, what I've established up to this point through the first four, four chapters, four and a bit chapters in this letter, what I want you to do now is consider the pace of your life and the consistency of your behavior. Just take some time and perhaps consider the consistency or maybe the inconsistency of the way in which you live your life. Now, I know it's easy for you perhaps to assume that, that those of us who work in full-time ministry and we live and breathe church, and that is not only the life that we live because we're Christians, but it's also our job, you might assume that we must be the most consistent Christians that exist in the world today. Well, I'm going to shatter that illusion for you right now. It's just not true. Please don't fire me. You know, I can go from one day being the most confident and faith-filled godly man, believing that the best is yet to come, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, to the next day or maybe even the next hour, all of that coming crashing down because of a negative report or an angry word spoken or some feedback that perhaps didn't sit quite right with me. And I can go from being the man of God that perhaps you expect me to be to actually being nothing short of the sinner that we all are. Because every single one of us falls short of the glory of God, don't we? There's no one person in here who is perfect. We are all sinners but thankfully God came to make our lives right you see we're just so inconsistent in our lives I think it's the same for every single person in this room we're just inconsistent you see the human nature the human condition is by nature inconsistent we have these highs and we have these lows and we go on this ride of life I think perhaps Ronan Keating was right when he said life is a roller coaster. Those were some profound words that he sang right there. You just got to ride it. <laughs> but look at what Paul says in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk. Consider the pace of your life, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is understand what the will of the Lord is. He's saying, look carefully. I want you to consider something. I want you to pause for a moment to reflect and think about the state of your life. And before he unpacks the actions and behaviors that should be part of our lives, he says, I just want, to, I just want you to pause for a second and take stock. Just pause for a moment and reflect on your life. What does your everyday behavior look like? How consistent is your walk? Do we have enormous spiritual highs and then crashing and horrible lows? Do you have days from one to the next that look dramatically different from the other? Or are you consistent in the way you live your life? How much are you impacted by negative news or, or, or the state of the world or when you glance at your bank balance? How do those things impact the way in which you live your life? How are you influenced by people's opinions of you or, or people gossiping about you or what they say behind your back? How does that impact your life? And how consistent is your walk 
with Jesus? How consistent is your walk with Jesus? And I, I don't know about you, but, but for me, that's, that's something that's not particularly fun to spend time investigating because actually when we do pause and, and take stock of things, we recognize that actually we do have these ebbs and flows and highs and lows in our Christian walk. It, it isn't plain sailing. It isn't a smooth ride. You know, can I be honest with you this morning as we've been kind of preparing for Christmas, the, the time of year when we celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if anything is our focus at this time of year, it should be Jesus. But the reality, at least for me in my life, if I'm brutally honest with you, is that over the past few weeks as we've been preparing to celebrate Jesus' birth, I think I've probably read my Bible less than any other week throughout this year. It's so backwards, isn't it? It's bonkers because life gets so busy and the distractions of this world are so fierce that actually we can be pulled so easily away from the path on which we should be walking. Now that's two sackable offenses. Please show me some grace this morning. But when we take a look at our lives, when we take a view of of the week that was, when you look back and you think, how was the week that I've just lived? How consistent were you? How faithful were you? How stable was your walk with Jesus? And I'm not talking about your Sunday best when you come to church and you, you put on your Christian smile and you tell everyone that you're fine. How, how was your week? How did you live Monday to Saturday? What, what happened on that journey that brought you to this place this morning? Well, let's just look back at the context of this scripture that Paul says in verse 1 and 2, and I'll, I'll use the message paraphrase. He says, watch what God does and then you do it. Watch what God does and then you do it like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly, what God does is love you. So keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love wasn't cautious but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. So now we've established and now he's set this, this groundwork and this framework for the most incredible love that there ever was. A love that wasn't cautious but extravagant. A love that was completely and wholeheartedly selfless in every way. Now that we've established what that looks like, have you considered your behavior on Monday? Are you mean? Are you angry? Are you ugly with people? Are you selfish? Are you grumbling? Are you comparing, gossiping, lusting, frustrated? What do your days look like when you're not here in church? But Paul says, watch what God does. Be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. So how do we imitate God? Well, we look to Jesus. If you want to imitate God, you look to Jesus. You see, God came down to earth in full 5D HD form in the person of Jesus Christ to be our example, to show us how we should live our lives. So we need to look to Jesus. We need to look to his life. We need to look to his sacrifice. We need to look to his perfect 
love. So now, in light of all that, in light of, 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 of his love and his life and his actions, how are you doing? When you compare yourself in that sense to, to Jesus, how, how are you doing? How are you doing? Do you look like Jesus on a Monday? Now, I don't think Paul's intention here is to shame us in any way, and that's certainly not my intention this morning. He's not saying these words to make us feel guilty or make us feel terrible or make us feel like we need to crawl in a hole and begin to just sob our hearts out because we can never match the perfect love and life of Jesus. He just wants to highlight here there's a problem. Because he recognizes that no one is perfect and we all have these highs and lows. So there's a problem here. So I'm just pointing it out to say, let's not kid ourselves. Something's not quite right here. Something needs to change. So he's highlighting that problem right at the beginning of this portion of scripture we're working through so that he can lay the groundwork and then begin to build on that with some frameworks and some strategies and give us a bit of guidance as to how we can do better, how we can look more like Jesus. So if you're hit, sitting here this morning and you're asking yourself that question, how am I doing? How does my Monday through Saturday look? And you're kind of feeling a little bit ashamed and maybe like you want to just hide away a little bit. Well, don't, don't feel like you're alone. Don't worry. You know, if I asked for a show of hands this morning, and I'm not, don't raise your hands, I'm sure most of the hands would go up to say, we're struggling. And those hands that didn't go up, well, that's pride. We can pray for you later. Jesus is awesome in every way. He's perfect in every way. And he set an example of how we should live. So what Paul is saying is, live like that. Well, I'm going to need some tips I'm going to need some guidance. I'm going to need some strategies in order to how I can actually begin to live this new life, this new version of me that we're being called to live. And I just want to take a second to remind us that, that we're not called to imitate Christ in order to earn his love. And that's what Paul says, isn't it? We're not called to imitate Christ to earn his love or, or some, in some way pay for our entry into heaven. It's not about doing good things and being nice people to earn God's love. His love is free. All we need to do is invite him into our lives to say sorry for the things that we've done wrong. And, and he kind of fixes all of that. His love is free. But we should be imitators of God. We should be imitators of Christ because of his love, because of his love, not to earn it. So Paul gives us some advice, and this is what we're going to get into this morning as we work our way through this portion of scripture. He's going to give us some advice as to how we can best live this new life that we've been called to live. So he starts this list of advice that we're going to look at this morning by saying that we need wisdom. By saying that we need wisdom. Be careful then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So he's putting his very first emphasis, his first strategy, his first point as to how we should live on wisdom. Be wise, not unwise. Well, what is wisdom? Well, thankfully, he goes on to explain. Verse 16, by making use, by making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. 
You see, what he's doing here is he's associating wisdom with the, with the realization of the value of time. So he's bringing wisdom and he's saying, actually, if you're going to be wise, you need to use your time sensibly. You need to recognize that time is valuable, time is precious, time is important. And as I've already expressed this morning, actually, this time of year, it can be so busy. So are we using the time that we've been given wisely? Are we using it wisely? You know, you might say that you don't have time to spend half an hour in the morning reading your Bible and praying. I just don't have time for that. Life is far too busy. But perhaps the reality is, or the question that we should be asking ourselves is, do you have time not to? Do you have time not to? Because actually, spending time with God is more valuable than any other time we can spend. Time is beautiful. Time is precious. Time is a gift. So are you using your time wisely? Are you using it according to the value with which it holds? Or are you wasting your time on things that don't matter? So Paul is encouraging us to be wise. And how do, we be, how do we be wise? Well, we use our time wisely. We're aware and we understand how valuable time is because we're not going to be here forever. So time is limited. Time is valuable. Time is precious. So how do we use our time wisely? Well, he continues with his advice in verse 17. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay, well, what, is, what does that mean? Well, when you understand what the will of the Lord is, it means that you don't act thoughtlessly. It means that you don't act thoughtlessly. In fact, you don't approach each day without thinking about what it means, without thinking and understanding and recognizing the value of what's ahead of you. You see, when Jesus was found in the temple by his parents after they'd lost him for three days, and that's another story. What did he say to them when they found him? They asked him, what are you doing? And he says, don't you know, I, I have to be about my father's business. I have to be about my father's business. You see, he recognized the importance of his time. And his time was better spent in the temple, reading the scriptures, speaking to the scholars and preaching and teaching the word of God than traveling with his parents. So he said to them, I need to be about my father's business. And then at another point in scripture, he says, I, I only do what I see the father doing. He's not acting thoughtlessly. He's acting with intentionality. He's not approaching life with like whimsically. He's being strategic in the way he lives his life. He was always looking to his father. He was always looking to see where it was that God was moving and that's where he would get involved. That's what he would give of his precious time to. So if we're to live this life of wisdom that Paul suggests we should live, that means we need to maximize the time that we have here on earth. So how do we do that? We do that by looking around us, by pausing from the, the busyness and the hectic and chaotic lives that we find ourselves living, just pausing for a moment and looking around and seeing what is God doing in my family, 
in my friendship group, at my work, in my community? What is God doing and how can I support that? Because that is what is important. You see, God has a plan. And I believe and have said many times from the platform that God has a specific plan for each and every person here in this room. You are put here on this earth at this time for a purpose. But bigger than that, God has a master plan. God has a master plan. And that plan, believe it or not, is to save the world. That's the whole purpose of why he sent Jesus, his only son, down to this world. So let's not get consumed with the things that are going on in our lives and the difficulties that we may get stuck in and and maybe spend time moping and frustrated with the lot that we've been dealt. And actually, can we pause for a minute and look outside of ourselves and ask, what is God doing? I'm in this tricky situation. I'm facing this difficulty, but Let me step outside of that for a moment and ask myself, where is God moving? What is he doing? And is that more important than me feeling sorry for myself in this moment? Because he's saving humanity. That's his plan. That's his goal. And we can play a part in that if we'll just look up from our own circumstances and look out to see where God is moving. And I think that when you grasp hold of the magnitude and the importance of God's plan for this earth, it means that it, means that it kind of gives us the strength and the will to step back from the trivialities of our lives. And I'm not saying that to be hurtful because I realize that it may not seem trivial when you're in the moment, when you're dealing with that pain or struggle or loss or whatever it is. It doesn't seem trivial in the moment. But the truth is, the reality is, it's trivial. It's nothing in comparison to the master plan of God saving and bringing salvation to this planet. So when we realize that, it means that we can step outside of our own lives, our own circumstances, and, and see the big picture. Get grasp hold of this truth that, that time really is precious. And we need to make sure we use our time wisely because God's in charge. God's in charge. And he's got a really big job to do. So are we living like Jesus? That's the question that Paul's challenging us with this morning. Are we living? Are we loving? Are we acting like Jesus? How is your Monday, Tuesday, etc. looking? Are we being consistent in our walk? Are we being consistent in the way that we do life? Well, the answer is probably no. If we're honest, the answer is probably no. So how do we get better? Well, Paul says we need to be wise. We need to use our time wisely. We need to look beyond ourselves and we need to grasp hold of this bigger plan that God has for this world. And when we do that, we begin to look like the new you that God intended for us. Is this making any sense this morning? Good. So Paul's laying out this practical plan of how we can look more like Jesus. He's laying out these thoughts around wisdom and the importance of of valuing time. And then he goes on to verse 18 and he says, quit drinking so much booze. Hey, 
So he's talking through he's talking through all this importance of understanding the will of God and God's master plan to save the world and how important it is to focus on that and and not focus on your own situation. Oh, oh and by the way, are you, are you drinking too much? I mean it seems a, it seems a bit out of kilter with the with the scripture that it's in. Now I like I like wine. I like a nice glass of wine. In fact, on Christmas Day, I feel it's only right to bring out the good stuff. So, you know, I, I mean, I, I went as good as I could go, as, as good as my bank balance could afford. And my brother-in-law has got this app on his phone. Uh, I can't remember what it's called now, but it basically rates and ranks wine. So he did a quick search on his app to see how the wine I'd selected rated in the world. Apparently, we were, I mean, it's user data so it's only as good as the people who use the app but anyway it said the wine we were drinking was in the top 11 percent in the world's wines i was quite pleased with my selection we enjoyed a good wine and then on boxing day we went to my mum's house and my brother chose the wine now he if i'm here he's like here in terms of his kind of connoisseur and understanding of of wine so again i uh, i sent the name of the wine to my brother-in-law and said check what this score is and he came back this one is in the top three percent of all wines in the world we had good wine over christmas but everything in moderation okay everything in moderation so paul is saying don't get drunk with wine because that's debauchery which means it leads to really really bad decisions that you'll regret in the morning but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit instead be filled with the Holy Spirit you see when you accept Jesus into your life what you're doing is inviting the Holy Spirit to come and dwell come and make his home within you that's what the Bible teaches God comes to live in your soul by his spirit that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit but what Paul is saying here is he, he understands his audience. So although this, this, this line might perhaps seem a bit out of kilter with the passage that we've just read, he understands who it is that he's speaking to. And actually the wine in those days was, was different to the wine as we know it today. It was much weaker than the wine that we drink now. It was kind of watered down. So actually, if you were going to get drunk on wine, you needed to drink a lot of wine. Even if you were a lightweight, you were going to have to drink a lot of wine in order to get drunk back in those days. Literally hours and hours of intentional drinking in order to get drunk. And he understood that. He knew that when he was speaking to them. And that's where the parallel comes in between the two things. Because instead, we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instead of getting drunk on wine, we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit spirits and so what he's saying there is in order to be filled with the holy spirit in order to walk in the in the same love and 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 the same way that jesus walked if we're going to do that through his spirit we need to be intentional he's saying we don't just need a little bit of spirit but we need a lot of holy spirit we need to have as much Holy Spirit as we can consume. We need to drink in the Holy Spirit for hours and hours and days and weeks in order to become filled with the Spirit. In order to become filled with the Spirit. So we need to be intentional in that sense about 
consuming about taking in the Holy Spirit. So how do we consume the Spirit? Well, Paul goes on. This, this passage is just like boom, 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 point after point. In verse 19, he says, he goes on, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord. You see, again, and, and we've talked about this in, in earlier chapters, what Paul is emphasizing here is the importance of community. He's emphasizing the importance of, of coming together, of of doing life as a group, as a community, as a tribe, not trying to live the life of, of Jesus and, and Christianity on our own, but instead coming together so that you've got the support and the help of other people. So what he's saying here is that we need to gather together. We need to gather together like we have this morning here in church to sing songs. We need to worship God. We need to engage our hearts with God's heart, not just on our own, but together in unity with a common purpose, with a, a common focus. And when we do that, we become even more filled with the Spirit. And I realize that actually to, to the outside world, to people entering into a church building who, who haven't been into church before, our worship times can seem a little odd. It can seem a little bit like karaoke without the assistance of the wine we were talking about. It can seem a little bit strange to the outside world, but actually it's in scripture that this was part of God's design. This is how God suggested we do life. This is what God says we should do in order to be filled with his spirit and then we can go on to live the life that he's called us to live. You see, we're not just gathering together, doing karaoke to pointless beats with meaningless words. Actually, we're singing songs of praise and worship to our Heavenly Father. You know, I encourage you, it's so easy in worship times to just sing the songs that we sing week in, week out, and not really grasp hold of the truth of the words that we're singing. Just pause and reflect. Allow yourself to really get into a time of worship, to really grasp hold of what it is that you're declaring, what it is that you're speaking out, what it is that you're singing to God. Because as you're worshiping God through the words that come up on the screen, you're actually declaring truths. You're stating promises to God. And we shouldn't really sing and say those words unless we truly mean them within our hearts. And it's when you truly grasp hold of the truth of the words that you're speaking and singing that your heart then unites with God's heart and this flow of the Holy Spirit can happen. We connect with God in that way, in unison together. And when we do that, I believe that the atmosphere in the room changes. When we begin to worship in unison, when we begin to praise united together, something happens in the room and, and heaven opens and blessings fall and healings can happen. And that's not to say that can't happen at any other time of the day or week or year, but I believe that there's something special about worship because it was designed by God for us. And then he goes on in verse 20. 
after telling us to, to gather together, to sing songs, to, to speak to one another in Psalms, he says, giving thanks always and for everything. Giving thanks always and for everything. So we're to gather together, we're to sing his praises, and we're to give thanks for everything. Now that's hard, isn't it? To give thanks for everything. In the Old Testament, I believe that God got fed up. God got fed up of his people grumbling and moaning and just sitting there saying life's not fair and life's not good enough and getting bored with God and moving on to other idols. He kind of got fed up of that kind of moaning, grumbling attitude. So what he's saying here is quit complaining. Quit complaining and get thanking. Quit complaining and get thanking. It's easy to thank God when you've just been gifted a holiday, but perhaps it's, it's more hard, more difficult, more challenging, whatever the correct language is, to thank God when you're facing a difficult circumstance, when you've just lost your job or your bank balance is showing minus figures once again. Whatever it is that, that, that is hard or difficult or challenging in your, in your lives, we are called to thank God for everything. Because who knows that God can turn all things for good. You see, even in difficult circumstances, even in the most challenging of things that we face, God can bring about something good. So we've got to be looking for the God in our situation, not focusing on the bad. Look for the God in the situation, not the bad. Because God's in control. He's given us the gift of life. He's created us to be the new you and the new me that we're talking about so that we can live like him. And out of that understanding, out of grasping hold of that truth, we should be thankful. We should have this overwhelming sense of thankfulness. I think sometimes in me, it bubbles up more often, uh, it bubbles up more at some times than it does other times. You know, you can be in worship maybe and just be overwhelmed by the truth of what it means to be in God's house. Be overwhelmed to, by the truth of what it means to be part of God's family, to have the support of those around you. And then something begins to bubble up within you and it's this thankfulness and joy that just overflows through worship. We need to let that happen more and more in our lives. And then finally, in verse 21, Paul goes on to say, Submit to one another. Submit to one another. Now, just after this passage, which we're not going to go into this morning, Paul talks about uh, this beautiful picture of submission within a marriage. And it's a fantastic portion of scripture that just talks about the beauty of submission in relationship with your husband or your wife. But for now, what he's saying is he's speaking into the importance of submitting to one another in community like this of submitting to one another in this sense or in our families or in our friendship groups and I love how Paul just lays out these strategies that we've talked through this morning like bam 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 as if they're the easiest thing in the world to do be wise think of time with the value it's deserved give thanks in all things submit to one another I mean these are all just so incredibly easy to do aren't they they're just a breeze to live this life 
But we're called to be wise. We're called to understand the importance of time and the the life that we've been blessed with. We're called to step outside of ourselves and understand the big picture of God's plan. We're called to not get caught up on ourselves, but actually to look for where God is moving in our lives, in our circumstances, in our situations, and get stuck in. We're called to not get filled up with wine, but to have that same intentionality of being filled up with his spirit, to be consistent in the way that we walk and live and love. We're called to gather together, to worship him, to be thankful for everything and to submit to one another. And that's not an easy life to live, but no one ever said it was going to be easy. But that's the life that we were called to live. And it's worth it. I want to encourage you this morning that if you're hearing this message and you're thinking it just sounds too challenging, I can never live a life like Paul is describing in this letter, well, it's worth the effort. It's worth your time. It's worth the challenge. It's worth the struggle. It's worth your resources and your energy to live more consistently like Jesus. So I pray that as we, as we start a new year, a new decade even, that we can begin to love and live more like Jesus each day. Why don't we pray? Father God, we just thank you once again for your presence with us. We thank you for uh, the, the demonstration and the example that you gave us through the life of Jesus Christ. And we, we look to that as a perfect example and, and we know that we can never attain to it this side of glory. But Father God, I just pray that even from this moment, we can begin to be more consistent in the way that we walk like you. I pray that we will draw close to you, that we will not forget you in moments of struggle or difficulty or busyness, but that we will remember you in all things. And as we keep our eyes firmly fixed on you, that you will keep our path straight, that you will keep our walk consistent, that you will help us to navigate the trials and and troubles and difficult situations and circumstances in our lives so that we can continue on this journey, on this life that you have called us to live and that we can live more and more like the new you, in Jesus' name. Amen.